Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. And we are busy with our uh, series on Ephesians and through him and last week we started off we kicked off the series if you missed part one then uh, you can uh, grab it or get hold of it on the um, Facebook page it's on there it's on SoundCloud and just uh, quickly as a means of introduction to the series um, we have to really look at at how we how we get to the word and and we're going to be working through the whole letter to this uh, church in Ephesus um, to get context and ideally, it would have been awesome if we could have just read through the whole letter in one setting and then go through it. But uh, time doesn't really allow for that. Um, I know you guys have got places to be. You've got Sunday roasts in the oven, all of those nice things. Uh, Father's Day to celebrate. Um, but so what we are going to be doing is I want to encourage you guys, as we're going through this series, as much as possible, read through the letter. Read through the letter. Do your own personal Bible study. And then when we get together on a Sunday morning, we into specific scriptures in detail and building on that to kind of uh, just uh, really build the picture of what was Paul intending through this letter, what was he trying to communicate through this letter in depth and really cement these truths that we see in uh, uh, this letter to, to the Ephesian church, really uh, see them planted and set in our hearts. Amen. That is what we want to do. We don't want the kind of the the, the, the seed of God's word, as, as Mark chapter 4 talks about the parable of the sow and the seed, we don't want it to just kind of set on the surface. We don't want it even to set like on stony ground. And then we don't want it to be sown, taking good root, but then there's a whole bunch of other mess that comes in and, and uh, weeds and things like that choking the, the, the word. We want our hearts to be open, our hearts to be pure, undiluted with any other distractions, and receive the word and have it going deep. Amen, because that is where fruitfulness comes from, the 30, 60, and 100-fold fruitfulness. Amen. And uh, we looked at just the, 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 the purpose of this letter, and all of the epistles really is really this explanation of a revelation. There's an explanation of the revelation of the mystery that's been, known to, uh, been, been made known to us, and we're going to get into some of that this morning. What is this mystery? What does it mean for us? What is this revelation? But in short, also, the letter to the, the Ephesians is broken up really in two segments, part one to three, really talking about identity in him. This is the identity in him. The phrase in comes up continually throughout this letter, but specifically in the first three. In him, this is the reality. In him, this is where we seated. In him. And then from chapter four to six, it's really the outflowing or the outworking of identities. Right? It's. The, the through him aspect of our Christianity. Because we are in him, this is the life we can live through him. And that is really important to see it like that because in the second part of this epistle, we really see a lot of uh, uh, um, invitation to fruitfulness, so to speak. But if you go to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 5, and 6 without understanding, it's a matter of identity that we get to be good husbands to our wives. We get to be awesome children to our parents. We get to be awesome employees to our employers. If we don't understand it's a matter of identity, being rooted in identity in Christ, these things are going to be a burden and a work for us. 
So we need to understand what is the, what is the empowering? It's a matter of identities. Our identities have changed, and that is why we can live like Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. Last week, just a quick re recap. We looked at sainthood. We looked at our holiness. We looked at how we've been sanctified, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that nothing we do can change that reality. Think about this for a moment. Just as much as you can't change your human nature, you can't change your human nature, your DNA, your, your, your molecular structure, you can't change that. As much as you can't change from being a human to being an animal, some of you are upset now because you thought that could happen, but it can't happen. As much as you can't change that, surprise, as much as you can't change that nature of yours, when you receive the Spirit of God, that nature is holiness. Nothing you do can change that nature. Now, all of us are, are not necessarily living that nature out, but that is a spiritual truth and reality. And once we come to know that spiritual truth and reality, and that's why we're getting into the Word, to seal these things into our hearts and to change and renew our minds because we haven't been taught that as Christians, right? We've been taught Hey, I'm just a, a sorry old sinner. I'm going to sin for the rest of my life. I'm just kind of, okay, surah, surah, whatever will be, will be. No, you've got the Spirit of God inside of you. You were once a sinner. You got saved by grace through faith, and now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How can I say that? Because my Bible says that. Romans chapter 3 talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this. It's all throughout the Word, the New Testament, and is the mystery revealed to us the spirit of god living inside of us changing our nature completely you're not a a broken cup that fell on the ground and now kind of god came and he glued you together you were a broken cup you were broken like a tika shed but now you are new you are brand new being a new creature second Corinthians 5 17 says for anyone who's christ is a new creature a new creation not a fixed not a fixed creation, a new creature, new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is a spiritual truth and reality, but that only has an effect on our lives as we come to know this, as we come to focus on this and meditate on that reality. We often misunderstand what the Bible is trying to communicate because we also kind of define words by just the, de the definition of the dictionary and then we forget about the context and all of us that have done this i've done this philippians 4 example of this great fridge magnet scripture i can do all things through christ who strengthens me when you go into a sporting uh, event like a match I, I was there rugby philippians 4 13 i can do all things we're going to beat this team i can do all things through christ shame what if they're also having that same viewpoint what's going to happen is it going to be a draw you're going to just continue playing like what is paul talking about so if you look at the words here all things by definition all things means all things right so if we just define all things by the definition of the dictionary we can be like yeah i can do all things because all things means all things all things is exclusive of no things so praise god i can do all things it doesn't matter what like i can do all things right now, I know we don't, we don't necessarily go through the ridiculous, but we go through things that Paul wasn't intended, that the author wasn't intending for us. 
What was the all things that, Christ, uh, that Paul was writing about here when he said, I can do all things? There was a specific context to this. Paul was writing, and if you go and study out the, the letter to the, the church of Philippi in chapter 4 specifically, he was getting into some, some, some problematic things that he was going through in life. And in this specific context, he's talking about, hey guys, I've learned. I've learned to be content whether I have much or nothing. Think about that. Having much and then having zero. Sitting in prison. None of you are sitting in prison because you're currently here. Praise God. But if you would be to sit in prison, which Paul was when he wrote the letter to um, the Philippian church, which Paul also was sitting in prison when he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, seemed like he enjoyed being in prison. He didn't enjoy being in prison. It wasn't just kind of a, a, a cheap accommodation. He was there for a purpose. He wasn't there because he was being a mean guy. He was there for his faith. Preaching and ministering the gospel. And so Paul is saying, I can do all things. I can accomplish my mission, my purpose here on earth. I can continue ministering the gospel because of the power of God inside of me. I can, I can push through hardships. Who wants to push through hardships? Is there a few people? Gary, James, John. You guys want to push through hardships. You don't want to camp there, right? Psalm 23. David writes, and he's writing to us. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not as I go camping in the valley. Some people want to camp in the valley of the shadow of death. They want to stay stuck there. But we want to move through these things. And it's by the power of God, I can do all things. I can push through this hardship. I can push through. It's not a matter of how much I have. It's not a matter of how little I have. What matters is the power of God inside of me. The Spirit of God inside of me. Having contentment that Hebrews 13. Verse 5, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with such things as you have, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our contentment, the secure contentment that can't be shaken, the only thing that is constant in this world, is not your spouse's love for you. Now I'm saying that as a married man, and I know my wife is always loving, loving me, but her emotions towards me does fluctuate, believe it or not. And so does my emotions towards her also fluctuate. But God's love for me is constant. His will for me is constant. His purpose for me is constant. It's good. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, that my thoughts, my plans towards you is only good to give you a prosperous end and expectant future. So God is constant and we can find contentment, a surety in that promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. What's that talking about? It's talking about the Spirit of God living inside of man. That is the promise of God. That is the mystery that's been revealed to us. Let's get into Ephesians chapter 1. Now last week we only really got into verse 1 and it was an awesome time together. And uh, this morning we're going to cover a little bit more ground. We're going to read just uh, um, from verse 2, which we didn't get into last week. And then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So verse 2 says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul is writing and he's, he's, uh, he opened up the statement talking about our sainthood, talking about the holiness that, that we have as believers, as children of God. And then he writes about, this is where I'm coming from. This is, I'm coming from a place of knowing the grace of God. 
And I want you to know the grace of God. I want you to know that God's will for you, His heart towards you is grace and peace. How do we know that? Because He sent Jesus. That was a complete declaration. If anyone ever doubted the goodness and the grace of God, Jesus was sent. You can no longer doubt the goodness and the grace of God. We read that scripture, Romans 5 verse 8. While you were still a sinner, while you were an enemy of God, Jesus was sent to die for you. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and it's good to ask questions. Please ask questions like subconsciously, not out loud, because otherwise you might be distracting me uh, or the people around you. But if you've got questions, please come and uh, chat to me afterwards. Write down your questions. Get into the Word. Seek, seek answers to your questions out through the Word yourself as well. You don't just need to come to me with all of your questions. But if something's really bro- uh, pro- uh, bothering you, please come to me. Um, the point I wanted to make was... Uh, so. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking like, I, I didn't live yet when Jesus died. So like, how could he have died for my sins? Great question, right? <laughs> he didn't live yet. But the, the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished for us, was something so much ge- bigger than the human mind can come to comprehend. There was a sacrificial system in the Old Testament where um, the, 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 the Jews had to continually bring sacrifices year after year. And you can read about this in Hebrews chapter 9, 10. And the whole uh, book of Hebrews is really talking about the, 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 the Jewish mindset and some of the things that were taking place and the, 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 the coming Messiah and how he was the perfect sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. And it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful um, the shadow that we see in the old and we see the fulfillment of that in the reality uh, in Christ. And the thing with that is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross is an eternal thing for all of mankind, past, present, and future tense at that time. That is the miracle working power of God. No man could do that. Our human minds can't fathom the power of God. But there's a power of God that is available to us to work from and operate under. But it takes some, some purpose to get into the word and renewing our minds. And that's why we're here on Sunday mornings. That's why we have life group. That's why we encourage people to do personal Bible study, discipleship, ministry school, all of these things. All of that is not to keep you busy. We're not about keeping busy. We have the Father's business. We're about getting into the Word. We're about praying for one another, being out there in the world, reaching the lost, praying for the sick. We had some awesome tests. And uh, just, just living the mission. You don't need to go to Zimbabwe to live the mission. But there's a reason and a purpose why we're going to Zimbabwe. But you can live the mission right where you're at, wherever you find yourself. Verse 3. This is going to be interesting. So verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now this is awesome because we see the word blessed, blessing come up three times in this one verse. And what do we normally think when we read the word blessing? We normally think something shiny or like some material kind of thing, like a possession, right? I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's none of you guys, you know how to interpret the word rightly. Um, But we need to understand what is the context saying here firstly. And also, what do these words mean? Because not all words mean the same thing, even though they sound the same. Bless, blessing, etc. Even if you look at love, there's different meanings for the word love. And we need to find the definition and find the correct definition within the context. 
Guys, we are Bible teaching church. So if, uh, this is maybe seeming too non-storytelling uh, for you, and it's maybe too non-smoke um, and things like that. We are Bible teaching church. We want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to teach you to study the word of God so that you can rightly divide the word of truth and the fruit of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm not, I'm not going to jump around here and entertain you guys and do karate chops and things like that. I'm just going to get into the word and we're going to study the word together. And you need to ask questions. You need to make notes so that the Holy Spirit can work along with what I'm giving you. So the first word there, blessed be God the Father, is a Greek word which I'm not going to pronounce. And uh, there's a, the, all, all of, obviously, the, the Bible is written in, in Greek or Aramaic and um, Aramaic. Uh, you know, my pronunciation sometimes just let me down a little bit. It gives opportunity for you guys to laugh, so uh, I'm, I'm glad I can do that. So the first phrase here, blessed be God the Father, is talking about praising God. Worthy of praise is God the Father. It's talking about adoration. Ephesians 1, 3 from the Amplified uh, beautifully translates as far as it says, blessed and worthy of praise be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this, this, uh, this adoration towards God that this first word blessing is referred to. Then the second phrase there, who has blessed us in years normally where we kind of uh, go to, man, yeah, God has blessed me with a house and he's blessed me with a car and he's blessed me with this. But that's not really what it's saying. So the word year is a verb, the Greek word to speak well of, to bless or invoke blessings upon. Now, and this was seldomly rarely used in, in, in link to possessions. This phrase, blessed, God has blessed us, it's not talking about possessions. It's talking about speaking well of. In Romans 12 verse 14, the same word, the same root, root word to this word bless is used in Romans 12 14, which says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, you can give a gift to someone who, who curses you, right? You can kind of do that. But what's the point of giving someone a gift who's cursing you, but then you're not speaking well of them behind the scenes? So this is specifically linked to speaking well of your enemies, speaking well of those who curse you, who speak uh, evil towards you. You get to speak well of them. It's the same root word here. So it's a, this, this word blessing that God has blessed us is talking about uh, speaking well of us, invoking blessings over us. And then the, the third one there, uh, spiritual blessings. He's um, blessed us with spiritual blessings. That word is, again, the same root word to the previous blessing and it's also again linked to speech speaking well of or speaking to about now what is it speaking to what is it speaking about let's read that so blessed i'm going to rephrase this ephesians 1 verse 3 actually for us in light of what we just looked at it could read praise and adoration be to god who speaks well of us and affirms our christ's realities to us through his spirit now, that's completely different to how we would have traditionally interpreted that, making it very much about, like, what can I get? What can I get from God? Like, what gain can I get? How can I use Ephesians 1, 3 to get that job promotion, to get that car, to get that whatever, you fill in the blank. And it's not to condemn you, it's to set you free, because as we come to rightly divide the word of truth, what happens with a seed that is purely planted without any 
um, what do you call it, uh, weeds and things like that. The purer the ground, the purer the seed, the purer the harvest, right? You kind of got connected dots. But when we start taking a seed, God's word is referred to the incorruptible seed, which means that it is corruptible. But we can add things to that seed and then it distracts. It takes away from, and uh, Paul writes about this really in Galatians 2 verse 21 where he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So we can't frustrate the grace of God. We can't frustrate the, the power of God by doing what? By thinking that it's something it's not. Righteousness does not come by the law. Righteousness does not come by your works or thereof. Righteousness comes by receiving Jesus, believing on Jesus, and then we are counted righteous before God. So the seed of God is incorruptible, yes, but when we use the seed for something it wasn't intended, we mess things up. We're nullifying, we're frustrating the power of God. We're choking the power of God. And that's why we want to rightly divide the word of truth so that we don't choke the incorruptible seed. So the seed can do what it's intended to do. Bring transformation. Bring change. The world is, 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 is praying and often we want to pray and it's good to, to pray for, for the, the, the government and for leaders and things like that. But oftentimes we're praying prayers that different prayers. <laughs> we should be praying firstly for ourselves. Number one. Father, help me to see. Help me to see and have an understanding of your spirit inside of me. Father, I want to see a manifestation of your spirit in my life and through my life. I want to stop being self-centered. Anyone ever pray for prayer? It's not a popular prayer, right? Because it's fun to be self-centered. It's all about me. What can I get? I want more. I want more. I want more. We need to start praying for manifestation of the Spirit of God in us and through us. That will bring change to our nation. Better management of finances is a fruit. Oftentimes we're praying for fruit to be manifest. If you just manifest and conjure fruit, it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to have longevity. We need to pray for transformed hearts. That is root because... The root changes, the root changes eternally. We need to pray for that in our own personal lives and then for that to be uh, manifested through, the, through us so that people can also come to know Jesus in us and be transformed. Amen. So we need to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can see the manifestation of God's word and what it in, was intended for, uh, for us. So God speaks well of us, and the Spirit of God is, is speaking to us and affirming us in our sonship. We see this in, uh, uh, we'll get to uh, Romans 8 in a moment. Let's jump down to verse 4 quickly. It says, even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him, blameless in his sight, even above reproach before him in love. 
This is beautiful. This picture, it says that even as in Him He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world, from the beginning of time to demonstrate His love for us. And that was demonstrated in the Garden of Eden as well, God's love for Adam and Eve. And through all of time, from that time that Adam and Eve fell, God continually demonstrated and showed His love towards man. But the plan that God had from the beginning of time was a plan to have Christ live inside of us. We see this phrase come up. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. So how are we holy? How do we get holy? Do we get holy by our works? No, it's by being in Him. In Christ, Christ in us. That is holiness for us. It's not a work, it's a belief. Believing on Jesus Christ. Verse 5 to 6 from the Passion Translation says, For it is always in His perfect plan. Guess what? Always means always. Okay, you don't need to go and uh, kind of uh, try and get the, the root there and the Greek and the, uh, all of the different languages. Always means always. It was always in His perfect plan to adopt us as His delightful children through our union with Jesus. The anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. That's awesome. God's perfect plan from the beginning of time for Christ to live in us. And what amazing promise is this that the same love he has for Jesus, he has for us. Oftentimes we kind of think like, like man, God has got favorites. And you can't see yourself as a favorite, but in a sense that some people are like, oh, God's got my photo in his, uh, in his wallet and <laughs> things like that. It's cool ideas and thoughts, personalizing his love to you. He doesn't have favorites. Because when, when we generally, the only way that you can see for God to have favorites is if you're living in a comparison world. Where it's like, I'm definitely his favorite because how can you say that? Because I'm, I'm not as bad as Enku. Like Enku sleeps in church and things like that. I, I, luckily, I don't do that. I'm joking, Enku isn't sleeping this morning. <laughs> Other mornings. <laughs> I'm pulling your leg, man. Um, I, so so we, we, we fall into that trap. Like It's religious thinking. It's legalism. When we're comparing ourselves among ourselves, we are God's favorites, all of us. We love by Him as much as He loves Jesus. Then verse 5 and 6 from the Amplified Classic says it this way. It says, For He foreordained us, or destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as His own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of His will, because it pleased Him and was His kind intent, so that we might be to the praise and the commendation of His glorious grace, uh, which He so freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Again, we can't save ourselves. God had a plan. From the beginning of time, God had a plan. Before Adam and Eve made that mistake, God had a plan. God planned this for us. Now, what the Scripture isn't saying, that God predestined us. There's a, there's a, there's a wrong belief about predestination and uh, foreordaining and all of these things that, that people think that God selects some people beforehand or whatnot. Just because God knows who's selecting, it doesn't mean that He selected on behalf of those people. Because that would be 
There's no free will. But God has given free will to mankind. That's why the world is sitting in the mess that it's sitting. Because Adam and Eve used their free will in a silly way. Right? Anyone of you ever used your free will in a silly way? Some honest people, like uh, the others, like I'm praying for your dishonesty to leave this room. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm putting your leg. We all, we all need to understand that it's only by God's grace that He chose us, that He loved us. And we get to respond to that love. But it's beautiful. This word adopting is really a, a, a picture that when you are adopted into family, there's no disowning of that adoption. Like it's a, it's you, when you're born into a natural family, like you can technically disown one another. But when you're adopted into a family, it's a different kind of uh, legality in that adoption. Where you can't just disown someone. You guys can uh, go and uh, research it specifically with the, the, the Jewish culture. And so he says here, so we've been adopted, but I like how the Amplified puts this phrase also, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ. So we adopted into the family of God by Jesus Christ, but I also like how it's a revealing as his children. When we are revealed as his children, it's not something that, that kind of um, isn't true. When you reveal something, if I've got a tablecloth over this, this, um, this, uh, this table over here, and you guys just saw a tablecloth, you saw the shape, you could imagine what's underneath that tablecloth, right? It could be a bunch of boxes stacked on one another. It could be a bunch of different things. But you can see the shape and imagine what's underneath you. Now when I remove the tablecloth, I'm revealing the table to you. I'm not making the table appear magically. It's a revealing of something that already was. Now when you are a child of God, you just need to be revealed as a child of God. You just need to come to know that you are a child of God. Come to know the Spirit of God inside of you and there'll be a manifestation of that. The tablecloth will be removed, so to speak. But God isn't doing the removing of the tablecloth, if you wondered. We do by renewing our minds. Because as we renew our minds, we are transformed. We are transformed into the image of Christ. Romans 8 verse 15 says... So we're talking about this Holy Spirit and linking to verse 3 again. Now, the God speaks well of us and His Holy Spirit is speaking reality, our reality to us. The truth of who we are to us. Romans 8 verse 15 beautifully says this. For, for the Spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more into bondage to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship or daughtership. Uh, in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father. Now this crying is kind of sad. It's just a phrase of, of uh, expressing joy, expressing gratitude that we get to call God Abba, Father. Now Abba, Father isn't just kind of a weird term. Abba, like, I could not matter how you, how you address God, whether you address Him as Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, Abba. It doesn't matter. Often people get sidetracked with, with minorities, like minor details, and they focus on the main thing. You call God the, the precise, exact kind of terminology, Yeshua or whatever the case may be. Like You get those people who are offended that we call Jesus, Jesus, and not Yeshua. 
Now, maybe I'm in this room, I love you, and I'm sorry for stepping on your toes. But you could call and say all of the right things without the right heart. Guess what? It's going to accomplish you. Nothing. Because God is after your heart. He's not after your actions. Stop acting. Stop acting. Get to know the love of the Father. Respond to that. And stop being legalistic about all of these little things. It's not about that. It's not about pretense and who says things in the most authoritative way. And it's like, let's deepen our voices when we pray, brothers and sisters. Like, <laughs> Let's just be real and authentic. Let's, let's get to know the Father out of God, real and authentic, and live from that place, live from that reality. But God's Spirit is a Spirit convicting, convincing us of our sonship. That is beautiful. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's affirming us as sons, as daughters of the King. We're part of the family. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through His blood, the remission, forgiveness of our offenses, shortcomings, and trespasses in accordance with the riches and the generosity of His grace, gracious favor. The awesome thing here, the word... Redemption also means to ransom. And all of you have watched enough movies where there's a ransom to be paid, right? Now, so the word ransom means to obtain the release of a captive by paying a ransom. That is exactly what Jesus did. He paid a ransom for your life. And he didn't just pay it in half. He didn't just kind of pay 50% of the ransom. He paid the ransom in full so that you could be set free. So that you no longer need to be captive to this fallen and broken world. A captive to sin. Being enslaved to sin. But so that you can enjoy freedom. This is a past tense reality because Jesus died a few thousand years ago. This isn't something yet to be. This is a reality that we get to experience right now. Because He paid for your life with His blood. He paid the ransom. So you don't need to be a captive any longer. And we see in John 8 verse 32, where John writes that the truth, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then in verse 36, it writes that, um, for who Christ sets free is free indeed. So the freedom that Jesus came to bring for us. But if you don't know it, you can't live in it. There's a story that goes that um, uh, in World War, I can't remember which World War it was, and I'm sure the same story uh, holds true for us in this context, but many other contexts as well, where World War II, when the, world, when the war was over, I can't remember <laughs> which, which countries the world war is between. I know probably American, someone else, or maybe I'm even wrong. With that. Uh, you don't have to tell me. Uh, you can tell me afterwards. So there was some war, and I think it was World War II, but when, when the war stopped, and country A, let's say America won the war. <laughs> Some of you are upset with me with my history now. And um, country A, America won the war. Some people at specific destinations were still fighting as if the war was still continuing on. Why? Because they did not know that the war has been won. 
It's exactly the same for us as believers. The war has been won. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus died. Jesus was raised from the dead. The Spirit of God Almighty is living inside of you. The war is over. Romans 6 talks about this. In the same way that Christ died, overcoming death, in the same way we need to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The war is over. When you receive the Spirit of God, you receive a righteous Holy Spirit and the nature of God Almighty living inside of you. But if you don't know this, if you don't become fully acquainted with intimately knowing this, it's not going to do anything for you. Because we need to know something. We need to know the truth because that truth that we know and that we intimately have relationship with help us enjoy the freedom which we have. Ephesians 1.8 says, this superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Verse 9, And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desire to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. This is awesome. So verse 8 and 9, it's talking about this, this superabundant grace. Not just a little bit of grace. It's overflowing. It's grace upon grace. Um, um, in some place in the Bible, I don't know the reference now, it's talking about uh, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. There's overflowing as grace. There's a, there's, God's grace can't be depleted by your silly things that you do. I wanted to use another, but uh, I, don't, I want to be politically gentle this morning. We, we can't deplete the grace and the power of God and the finished work of Jesus, cross, of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's a super abundant grace that is working in us. And as we allow this working in us, there'll be a transformation. There'll be an outworking of this. Uh, verse 9 from the Amplified Classic says, making known to us the mystery. Now listen to these words carefully. Making known to us the mystery, the secret of His will, His plan, His purpose. And it is this, in accordance with His good pleasure, His merciful intention, which He had previously purposed and set forth in Him, in Christ. From the King James, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He has purposed in Himself. It was always God's good pleasure, His intent to make known to us this mystery. Now, the interesting thing is that people kind of come up with a, a bunch of crazy things and they read this, this verse and they kind of say, God is mysterious and we can't know His ways. Because he's made known to us that there's a mystery. And that's kind of what he's made known to us. There's a mystery, guys. Dum, dum, dum. That's not the case. Let's look at another passage of scripture that's wrongfully taken out of context. 1 Corinthians 2.11. Linking on to the same mystery. Knowing. How do we know this mystery? How do we know the will of God? Can we know the will of God? Can we know the mystery of God? Let's look at the answer from the word. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says... It is like this. No one knows the thoughts that another person has. Only the person's spirit that lives inside knows those thoughts. It's the same with God. No one knows God's thoughts except God's spirit. Well, 18, what do you like? This seems like 
you're contradicting yourself because no one can know God's thoughts except God's Spirit. Now, if you're connecting the dots, you can kind of see where we're going with this. But some people just say, hey, guys, no one knows God's thoughts. Who can know? Only Spirit. Man, that sucks for us, right? <laughs> verse 9 and 10, just before verse 11 from uh, the voice translation says, But as the scriptures say, no one has ever seen, no one, you know, ear has ever heard and has ever um, it's never occurred to the human heart all the things God prepared for those who love Him. God has shown us these profound and startling realities through His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep mysteries of God. Now, when we read mystery, we think mysterious and we think unknown. That's not the case with God. Verse 12 from the Amplified Classic says, Now we have not received the Spirit that belongs to the world, but the Holy Spirit... So we just read that God's Spirit knows. What did we receive? We received His Holy Spirit, who is from God, given to us that. Why? So that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate the gifts of divine favor and blessing so freely and lavishly bestowed on us by God. We've got the Spirit of God. We can know the will of God. The will of God has been manifest. It is Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the promise that was made from the beginning of time to Abraham, it was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 3. This is the reality, guys. This is the mystery that Paul is writing. Colossians 1.27, it talks about the mystery has been revealed. Not as going to be revealed, the mystery has been revealed. That was hidden from ages and generations. What is that mystery? Christ in us. Now, what does that mean? It means a whole lot. And that is why we need to get to know the Word of God. We need to get into the Word and come to know, come to understand, so that we don't misinterpret things and kind of make the Word something it's not, kind of make the Bible something it's not, make the Gospel something it's not. We need to undilute the Gospel, the Word of God. We need to declutter Christianity so that we can experience the reality of our sonship our family, of our adoption. But it takes time and it takes processing these things. It takes some purpose on our part to get into the Word. In closing, from this morning, all of the passages and the verses we've been looking at, you need to know that you are accepted, you are loved by God. That's something that you're going to be challenged by through all of your time. You are accepted, you are loved by God. You are chosen, adopted into his family. Before you could choose him, he chose you. Now you get to respond to his love and be a partaker of the family business. We are forgiven and empowered. You're not just forgiven in the sense that, hey, like I'm forgiven so I can just continue on living in this sin. Sin will wreck your life. It will wreck your relationships. Praise God, you're forgiven of your sin. But living in sin will wreck your life. It will wreck your relationships. We are not just forgiven from sin, but we've been given a new nature. Overcome of sin. Sin should no longer have dominion over you. Romans 6 verse 14. But sin will have dominion over you if you are operating with God under law. But it's only by grace that we can experience this freedom that God brought us. It's only by responding to His grace. Delivered and set free. We've looked at that. It's a past tense reality. 
And all of this because God is love and he made a plan for us. His plan was for us to live in him and him live through us. That is what we're going to see throughout this letter in Ephesians. It's him, him living in us and him living through us. Last passage of scripture, Acts 17 verse 28. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.